the path doesn't have to be straight. We have a lot of information that we Value courage. Hey everyone, I'm Sue Robinson. And I'm Vanessa Alava. And this is the We Get Real AF podcast, a safe and inclusive place where we redefine feminism and bridge cultural gaps with each episode. We talk with female leaders about things that matter to you most, your health, finances, raising kids, building your career, everyday life, and so much more. Plus, we take a look at how emerging tech and science are shaping our future. Not a coder or a rocket scientist, neither are we. We will spark your curiosity and give you practical advice for living your best life in a world that's changing at lightning speed. Let's learn together. Join us every Tuesday for smart, real, and relatable conversations. And subscribe, rate, and comment wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You can also find at We Get Real AF across all social media platforms for exclusive online video content. So grab a coffee, set your intentions, and let's dive in. If you have a special man in your life, husband, boyfriend, brother, or father, our conversation today is for you because we are talking about men's health. June is Men's Health Month, but year-round, there are things we can be doing to support the health of the men we love. And today, our special guest, Liz Cormier-May of Mamagen, is rejoining us to discuss what some of those things are. Welcome, Liz. Thanks for having me back, ladies. We're so happy to have you. Yes. So I I just want to start at the very top of this conversation by calling out something that I think a lot of us deal with, with the men we love. And that is, it's really hard to get your guy to go to the doctor and to take care of himself. So let's start there. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> it is. I think it's that men have for a very long time equated asking or needing help or taking care of themselves with weakness. And I think that it's that mental correlation that deters them from wanting to take the time or make, uh, take an intentional action to take care of themselves. And I think that partnered with the fact that I think women are just a bit more equipped to um, handle any type of medical good news, bad news, in between news. Whereas men, I think, struggle with they have they go they go into these appointments saying, "Well, what if they find something? What if something is wrong? Even if it's just the yearly well visit check, right?" So I think those two things come together to make men just a bit more reluctant to take care of themselves because it's easier. One, not to do it, and two, just not to know. 100%. Weakness, 100%. I see that with my father, and I see that also with my husband. But the the easier not to do it, I see that more with my husband especially. Mm -hmm. Because as we know, the healthcare system is archaic. And it's a process. It's between making the appointment, making sure you're covered by your insurance. Once you're there, getting like three or four different bills from one medical visit. I mean, there it's just a lot. And, um, I think that if, if someone is presented with a situation where they have to seek further care or have surgery, it just compounds all of those little bitty things that then become a massive thing. And for men, I think that it's a huge turnoff and they're like, I'd rather not deal with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A hundred percent. And, and I think just, um, naturally where women are, uh, we're task oriented because we have to be right. And so to take on the scheduling and the insurance pre-offs and all of the bills and Hey, you already built, I already paid for this. Why are you billing me again? And all the follow-ups that are necessary. Cause there's inevitably a mistake in there somewhere. Those are skill sets that, that we as women are really good at. And so 
it's a it's it's worth the time for us to write that the risk benefit ratio that the health versus this is going to be a pain in the ass most of us will will opt for okay we get it's a pain in the ass but we want to keep ourselves healthy so whereas men are like god this is a lot, a lot of work <laughs> and, and i'd rather go mow the lawn or go to work or go to a conference or go to a bruins game or and it's it just doesn't fit into the to the risk benefit ratio for them and i think but, a piece of that is also because it's there's this false sense of, well, if I'm taking care of myself or if I'm going to the doctor, if I'm asking for help, um, it could be perceived as a weakness. Mm -hmm. So knowing that that's what we're dealing with, because mm -hmm. the healthcare system isn't going to improve anytime soon. And men no. are, are, you know, slowly maybe embracing the idea of vulnerability a little bit more, but that's not going to change overnight either. So how do nope. we, how do we practically speaking, get our loved guys to take better care of themselves without being an egg? that is a really hard one, right? Because you don't always want to feel like you're nagging them to do something that you know they should be doing. And you don't want that to be associated with going to the doctor either. Like, Ugh, gosh, you know, she's being so annoying about this. Um, I, I've found that asking, putting it in the context of, please, will you do this for me? Will you just let me take this off of my mental plate? And just know that this is something that is important to me. And that that's worked. I'm not saying that's the right way to do it. You know, you want it to be important to them as well. But I found that making it a personal ask from me to, to alleviate or take something off of my, you know, my mental plate is a strategy that's worked for us. Not all the time, but sometimes. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I do the whole, like, Hey, we have children and yeah. I want you to be around and this is probably nothing, but should it be something we need to get ahead of it? So yeah. don't, if you're not going to do it for yourself, do it for us, but mainly for them. So I've definitely yeah. played that card. I don't know how mentally healthy that is, but to a point where they're not doing something about it, I feel like they need that like wake up call yeah. of like, Hey, mm -hmm. it's not just you that's affected by this year. So mm -hmm. I agree with that. Um, also, you know, I've, I've also gone the route of like getting so frustrated that I just stop. I just stop. And they keep coming up every couple months with the same thing. They mm -hmm. meaning my husband, we recently did this. He had his gallbladder was giving him issues. He had a stone. This was a year ago. And then a few months later, it's flared up again, it became a thing, went away. And then this third time was like, okay, you needed to get this done. You went to, yeah. you went to see a doctor. They said you needed surgery. You need to get the surgery done. And he just didn't do anything about it. So I said, you know what? I have done my deed. Like I have, I have tried as a, as a wife, as you know, mm -hmm. being concerned as a mother to my children and I'm just going to stop. Yeah. And I had to let it go. And then when it came back again, I was like, this is on you. I'm just, I'm not going to say anything else. And then of course, like his mom is chiming in and his dad is chiming in. And I'm like, mm -hmm, yep. We've had this conversation a year ago, so I don't know what to say. Yeah, <laughs> a little yeah. tough love, right? <laughs> oh my god, it is so frustrating, and it's hard to remain compassionate in that situation. I I've totally been there. My my husband has back pain and has you know some issues there, and it's just a it feels like it's a constant vortex of oh I'm in pain. Okay, we'll call the doctor. Uh, oh I'm in pain. Okay, well then call the doctor. We'll go for that CAT scan. We'll do all of these things that you laid out last time you went. It's like, and then finally she's like, I can't feel bad for you anymore. <laughs> I can't feel bad for you. I don't have the, the emotional bandwidth to feel bad for you about something that you're intentionally not taking care of. Yeah. So, and then the thing it. is too, like if you could go for them, like if you could just get it right, done, yeah, right? Yeah. Like you, <laughs> you take it on. 
I can't yeah. be you. I cannot be you. I do not have the issue. Like, what can I do to help you get it resolved? You know, it's just, yeah. it's really hard. Yeah. I wish I had some profound wisdom tidbit here, but I don't, I, I, this is a really, and I feel like, you know, when I talk to my girlfriends about it, this is a recurrent theme in everybody's family. And, and for, and it's not just husbands, right? My, my, my father had an internal bleed two years ago that he got progressively more and more sick. And until he was physically bleeding from a place nobody should be bleeding from, and he would lost 40 pounds in a month, he didn't go to the doctor. Wow. So scary. Yeah. Come on. Something is very, very, very not right. Why are you not going to the doctor? And by the time he did, he got a misdiagnosis and then it got so bad. He was in the hospital for a month. And, and it's like this all to your point was this all could have been avoided, right? Mm -hmm. Regular check-ins and regular awareness around a change in your body or your health and not pushing through it or toughing it out. Mm-hmm. You, you know, when something is wrong, you have to listen to those physical cues or the mental shift, like, Oh God, that doesn't, that feels different or wrong. Or you have to listen to those things. And, and I don't know how to get somebody to care enough about themselves to do that. Right. Cause that's really what it comes down to. You have to care enough about yourself to take care of yourself, to then take care of the people around you that love you. Well, I think you both gave two great tactics. One is, okay, if you're not going to do it for you, do it for the rest of us. And two is, if you're not going to be part of the solution, you are continuing to be part of the problem. So a little tough love. So I think those are both great practical approaches. Having said all that, what are some of the health issues that our guys should be testing for, checking for, maintaining yeah. themselves for? What are some of the things that we as women need to be aware of so that we can mm-hmm. be uh, helpful to them and make sure that they are checking the things that need to be checked? Yeah, that's a great question. Your yearly well visit checks are an absolute must because even, even though they seem trivial, they're not. There's there's a blood panel. There's a, a, a constant... Uh, a very deliberate asking of, has anything changed? Is your family history, your, your energy levels, your sexual appetite, your, all of these things are really important mental check-ins that most people, you know, myself included, don't do unless I'm sitting with my healthcare provider on a normal basis, right? So your yearly visits are extremely important. Please don't ever underestimate the importance of those. And then as men start to, so my husband and all our friends are all turning 40 in and around this time. And so it's time that men start to go see a urologist around this time. It's time to start getting a baseline PSA. It's time for the digital rectal exams. And we all know how excited guys are about those, right? But it's time to start taking care of both your urinary tract and your sexual health at this point in life, because these are things that are going to start to change. And if you're not aware of the tools that are available to you to help things like, um, you know, constant urgency or an inability to urinate or trouble with sexual function, you need to have a person and a place to go to to talk about these things because inevitably it will happen to all men at some point. The only question is, when is it going to happen to you? So you might as well find a provider you're comfortable with start having these conversations, start learning a little bit more about how to take care of this part of your body. Because truthfully, men in their 20s and 30s don't think about this stuff. They don't think about what having an enlarged prostate means. They don't think about keep making sure, you know, your rectum is, is cancer free. They don't, they don't think about these things, right? So, but all of these things start to become important as, as men get older. And so 
aside from a well visit, I would say find a good urologist, one you're comfortable with, one that you can have quote unquote embarrassing conversations with, one that you don't feel uncomfortable with the new procedures that they're going to be giving you because you are going to get a finger in your butt. They are going to ask you about your sexual function. They are potentially going to need to do prostate biopsies as you, if and when your PSA starts to rise. So really find somebody that you're comfortable um, with having those inevitable uh, procedures and conversations with that, that those are the two physicians I would say that are, and, and kind of buckets of health that I think are most important for men. Mm, great advice. It's interesting because in, in this dynamic women, I feel, you know, at a, at a very young age, or at least when they start to be sexually active, go through a lot of this, they go mm-hmm. through the probing and the looking at the cervix and all the right. things. And men really don't go through any of that to mm-hmm. your point, Liz, until like kind of 40. Yeah. Um, so is there anything that we can do to kind of like poke some humor at it or just come at it from a point of like, Hey, I know this is different and unique, but like, yeah. I've been doing this for a while. It's really not that yeah. bad, but like kind of right. just make this part of like an everyday conversation of again, we want you here for a long time. Early detection is key. These are just things that we need to do to, to make sure that we're all healthy. We need you. We want you. How can we make it easier on them? Like, let's do it together as a team versus like just one person doing it. I have a friend um, from college who became a physician and her and her husband have the PP pact. <laughs> and they both, they, the PP pact is you both go and you, you go to your OBGYN and you go to your urologist every year and that's their pact to one another. And they kind of made it lighthearted around, you know, the cute little name, but it's, but it's important that they both do that. Right. And there's some, you know, intentional decision-making around that. Like I'm committing it to you. I'm committing it to me. I'm making time for it in my calendar once a year. And then if there's follow-up needed, it's part of the PP pact. You got to do it. <laughs> and so sometimes make, you know, injecting a little lightheartedness and humor around a commitment to one another can be a helpful tool. Maybe we need to be adding this to our wedding vows. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Well, that's all great. Really great advice. And, um, and I'd like to pivot a little bit now and switch from physical health, because we've talked a lot about sort of the physical markers of men's health at certain ages to mental health, because as difficult as it is to get men to take care of their bodies, I think a lot of times it's even more difficult to help them address potential anxiety, stress, mm-hmm. mental health issues that are so prevalent yeah. nowadays. So let's talk about that. Gosh, I don't know which one is harder. It's very important, I think, for, for men to give time to even just thinking about what is my mindset today? How do I feel about this? I don't, I don't think that a lot of men allow themselves the time or the flexibility to do that. Um, and I think part of that is biological. I think part of it is cultural, part of it is social, but especially after the last two years that the world has had, it's time. And it, I think it's time it, we're at a point where everybody acknowledges that mental health is important. It is as important as our physiological health. And again, if, if there's something good that came out of these last two years, a, a, an intentional awareness around the fact that everybody needs to be mentally healthy, men included, I think is becoming a thing, a reality, something that's talked about in the course of, you know, your common day, much more than it was even two years ago. And that's, that's important. And I think for, for us, 
I know it's a conversation I have to start. It's not going to be one that my husband starts, but starting the conversation and starting it with little questions, not like, how are you feeling about the world or our life or our, right? Little questions like, Hey, you're kind of quiet today. What's up? Or I can tell you you're upset. Like, is it me? Is it the kids? Is it work? Is it, what is it? What's going on? I think little more casual check-ins are important and it helps. And this is true for women too, I suppose, but it, it helps people who aren't normally willing to, or looking for an opportunity to, to unload something. It just gives them a, a door to do that. Well, and I think culturally it's always been more acceptable quote unquote, for women to talk about their feelings than for men to talk about their feelings. And I know that Mm -hmm. there are um, some apps and things out there that are available now that can make it a little bit easier, I think, for men to talk to somebody to seek help or or, uh, clarity without necessarily having to go make an appointment with a therapist, which can still be a difficult thing for men to do. Uh, although I think that that stigma is going away as well. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I think that's, that that's a really good point you make Sue, because digital health and telemedicine and telehealth options have exploded in the last two years and they're not going away. Um, they came about because of COVID, but they're, they're not going anywhere. And so there's a much more casual and maybe for some people private way to seek resources and help than there has been in the past. And here's the other thing. I mean, guys, you don't have to always tell everybody when you're doing something, right? If you you don't have to even tell your partner in the beginning, if you don't want to, if you're making an intentional decision to get help and seek tools and you're not ready to tell people about it yet, then don't. It's more important that you're getting the help and seeking tools. And as you do that, you will find the words and the language and the time and the feelings to share that with the people who are most important to you. And I think there's this, for me, I I think it's a, it's a dangerous expectation that if I'm doing something for me, I have to tell my partner, right? We're in this together. We're teammates. We're yes. All of that is true. But if you're not ready yet and you're doing something healthy and it is a healthy behavior, you don't have to share that. And in the world of telehealth and digital options, it's easy to start that process and while you navigate it and find the language to share it. Totally. Totally agree. If your mental health is not there, then your physical health more than likely will decline anyway. Um, So they're correlated in that sense, but you know, people might think of that as an extra thing. One, that they have to coordinate it, but two, with rising costs of healthcare, one extra thing they have to pay for. So how do you have those conversations? Because those have been had in my house too, where I'm like, we have a healthcare savings account. And I know some people don't have that, but we do put into that and that's what it's there for. So we need to use those funds to keep healthy and take care of ourselves as a whole human. How do we navigate those conversations with our partners if they come from a place of scarcity? Money is a thing. Yeah. Oh, it's 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 a big thing, um, and and I think there's it's kind of two pronged, right? It's like anything else. Budgeting for your healthcare, mental and or physical, is a very important part of your everyday life, or should be if it's not. And so, if it means you don't stop at Starbucks two days a week, then you don't stop at Starbucks, and you put that towards. Um, an app or a therapy session or acupuncture or whatever it may be that helps you get to the goals you're trying to set for yourself. And then 
Second to that, I think um, it's important for people to understand it. If you're not in the healthcare industry, this can be a really scary process, but just because you get a bill doesn't mean you have to pay the bill in full on day one. There is always an option to call either the billing department and or the provider and say, I am unable to do this right now, but I can commit to $5 a week. And in all states, if you are committing to a certain amount of payment and you're on a payment plan, they cannot send you to collections. They cannot come after you for something you do not have. As long as you show the intent that you are working towards paying off a bill. So please, please, please don't ever let money be a reason why you don't go and take care of yourself. Because even though it's not explicitly advertised, there has to be, they, their healthcare providers have to offer different payment plan options for those who cannot afford the care. And they cannot send you to collection if you are doing that. That's really good to know. Yes. Thank you. Absolutely. I think it's so important. I think it's just something we need to all keep intentionally saying, taking care of yourself, mind, body, and soul is the greatest gift you can give to yourself, to those you love, to the world around you. And that's man, woman, child, adult. It doesn't matter. If we don't take care of ourselves, nobody else will. Absolutely. Thank you. You heard it here on the We Get Really F podcast. That's right. Another (laughs) great conversation. Thank you, Liz. Thank you. Hey there. We hope you're enjoying the show. Do you work for a company or brand that wants to empower women? We're looking for sponsors for the We Get Real AF podcast. Reach out to us at wegetrealaf at gmail.com for more information. You can also show your support by finding the We Get Real AF podcast at ifundwomen.com. We have patron exclusives waiting just for you. Thanks for listening. Moving on to Profesh Sesh with Elisa Walters, our professional recruiter and talent specialist, where we talk all things career development. On this podcast, we talk a lot about what it takes to find and be a company that treats its employees well. That's a really great place to work. We've talked about everything from salary to professional development, to what type of culture a company offers, whether a company offers the ability to work remotely. All these things play into how well the employer is doing. And today, Elisa Walters, our talent specialist and recruiter, is going to share with us some companies that are really getting it right, what they're doing right, and what we all can take away from that. Elisa, welcome. Thank you. Yeah, this is an interesting one because I think so many times we see like a Forbes magazine article that shows the happiest places for somebody to work. And as somebody who has worked for organizations on that list, um, sometimes there's a big question mark over like how, why, how, how did that happen? Um, so I think what I would want to position this, start this conversation with is if you're looking at lists that like that, you know, I think you have to take into account a lot of different factors, right? I will say that one of the companies on that list that I used to work for had amazing benefits. They were very generous to their employees when it came to the the perks, the benefits, the overall compensation package. But when you peel back the layers to look at the work-life balance, it's it's a completely different story. Do your research. So I, I want to caveat that. So companies I keep consistently hearing about that are doing it right, 
for all the reasons, how they treat their employees, um, the different benefits packages that they offer, PTO, employee satisfaction. Time and time again, I hear about American Express. It is a large organization that um, consistently, you know, seems to be on the list. And that's, you know, that's a finance company, but then there's, it's not just finance, there's customer care. There's all of these different areas of the business that you could work for. When it comes to IT companies, I have seen Cisco and Salesforce as two big companies that also get it right. I went to a, um, a conference for our applicant tracking system. If you're applying for a job, it is the platform that's holding your application that on the back end a recruiter is working through to move you forward in that process. Their head of talent acquisition globally was at this, this conference and presented and I had an opportunity to speak with him. And multiple times I have tried to recruit him for other roles. And he's he's just like, I, I'm happy where I am. I get to be full-time remote. And this was before companies were be allowing that option. I'm going to throw Trader Joe's out there because Trader Joe's keeps consistently comes up on lists of, of employee satisfaction. They create a, a, a company culture where, um, you know, you go into a store and, and somebody's unpacking boxes and they're probably singing and having a great time. And it encourages an employee to be able to come to work as their whole self. Um, they make sure that even part-time employees have benefits. Where I grew up, um, Wegmans is a beautiful grocery store. Um, they've consistently come up as being a, a happy place to work. Facebook, Google, Netflix, um, or now Meta. But those organizations consistently come up because they do offer a lot of great perks. So you have to, as your own advocate, decide if going into a work where you get to do what you want to do, what that happiness is going to mean for you. Is it all of the perks that you're going to get for working for that organization? Or is it you need a company that's going to be very open to full-time remote, a, a very clear work-life balance? So all of those things you have to you have to factor in what what that happiness means for you. But those are some that I would throw out there um, as ones that have consistently been on lists and that I have talked to people about personally that have enjoyed working working there. I think you hit the nail on the head, Elisa. Almost like when we've asked uh, guests on our show, what does success mean to you? What does happiness and a good work-life balance mean to you? Like what, mm -hmm. what are those quote unquote benefits? A benefit to me may not be the same benefit for you. So really, you know, being clear and transparent with yourself about what that is and then finding people that are organizations that align with that. Um, and, you know, we see these lists and some of them to your point could be very glorified, but you've also mentioned a place to kind of check is Glassdoor, um, where you have employees, you know, going in there and again, take everything with a grain of salt. But for the most part, employees are going in saying, yes, that's true. However, please take into consideration X, Y, and Z. Um, or, you know, yeah, everything checks out and you're sending your application in because it's a great place to work and you want to be there, um, which also, you know, we have to say it makes it more competitive to get in as well. And if you're, if you're a data-driven person, you want to see facts and figures and data that are, are tied to that to help you determine what that means for you. See what kind of data you can find. And, and Glassdoor, obviously, it highlights different things um, based on surveys with it, that, that they're gathering from you know, current employees. But I think that 
it's important to to look at, you know, how is the company grown? How many employees are there? Um, and also, if you're interviewing for a company, one of the, the 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 questions that I implore you to ask is, why is this role open? And if you find out that this role is being backfilled, find out why it's being backfilled. Perhaps that person was promoted. Great, you're seeing that that company values growth from within. If you say, no, that person's moved on, okay, we'll dig a little bit deeper, peel back the layers there. How's long, how long was that person in the role or um, what was the reason that that person moved on from the role? And I think if if you get a sense that the person you're talking to, your p- potential manager hesitates on answering that question, gut check that. Uh, because I think that that's going to be really instrumental in, in helping you decide if that, you know, if, if you're you're going to jump in on an opportunity like that, or if you're like, nah, that's, that just sounds like it's, I'm going to be miserable. I'm not going to be happy there. Yeah. I think that gut check is the key word there because um, I don't know how much employers can disclose about a prior employee's reasons for moving on, unless it is something very straightforward, like they got promoted, but you know, you're kind of talking about somebody else's personal situation. So I think it's more reading the manager and to your point, how they react to the question in general, that is where you just, it's nuanced enough that you just have to listen to your gut. I also would say just as employers don't just check one reference on a prospective employee, you need to do your homework and go to a lot of different sources when you're researching a company. So you've mentioned before, Lisa, about check out their social channels and see what they're posting there and what's being posted about them. You know, do that extra digging on Glassdoor, on LinkedIn, um, trying to, to go to a few different sources to really get a a full picture and a true picture of what this employer is like is worth the time and effort that that takes. You have to do your own research. You have to be your own advocate. Um, and you know, sometimes you get into a situation and you can do all the things right. And you're, you don't know until you're in that situation, but getting into that situation, recognizing, you know, knowing early on if it's going to be a right fit for you. Um, I think is really important. And then I also think, you know, you may have a company that was recently involved in an acquisition that they're rebuilding, that they're wanting to perhaps the old way of doing things. were not, you know, we're not on par with the direction that the company and they want, they, they want to hear from the employees. I think if you have the opportunity to weigh in as a current employee about things that you'd like to see change, be a voice on those company surveys, um, you know, really have those conversations with the people around you to figure out how you can be instrumental in, in that change, if that's important to you and you like the company you're working for, but maybe there's areas that need to be improved upon, figure out how you can be involved in those bigger conversations, if that's important to you. I know a lot of companies are doing employee resource groups, join those kind of groups and, and, have those kind of conversations, be a part of some of those smaller focus groups, fill out those company surveys. What are some of the green lights for everybody? Like, you know, green green flags, like yes, 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 across the board that will just help you in your career growth and your career development. Um, you know, in my brain, it's transparency and communication um, and companies that are employee first, not client first. Because if you have 
companies that are putting the employees first, the clients are automatically going to come first because your employees are pouring themselves into their work happily. So I'd love to hear what you feel are those green lights for everybody across the board. PTO, when a company can really allow somebody to be fully off, I think is really important. And that's at every level. I think establishing a no meeting day and maybe Fridays isn't the day for a lot of teams. Maybe that's a day where if you're in the production side of, of, of things, you have deliverables due on, on Friday, figure out what that looks like. Um, a friend of mine recently just told me that her, she works for a very large studio. They have a, a snow day. So once a month, their entire team can take a snow day. And they obviously, as a team, have to determine if we're taking this day and a team that we work very cross-functionally with, is taking, we can't take the same day. So there's a little bit of strategic planning in that. They're going to want to do right by the company um, if the company is investing in doing right by them. So Lisa, if I have a small company mm-hmm. and I don't have a huge budget and I, and I don't have a huge team and can't afford all the bells and whistles that maybe some of my larger competitors in my industry can offer, just give some tips for the smaller business owner to, to become that company that's getting it right. Yeah. Uh, great question. So if you are a, a, a G Suite company, um, creating a form, you know, creating a survey form that you're not paying thousands of dollars to a third party vendor. That's as simple as, you know, asking a few questions, what employees would like to see, what's important to them, um, how things could be different, creating a simple Google form and and sending that out to employees to get that engagement, I think is, is a great place to start. If you're trying to start that conversation, you know, getting a sense of, okay, so these are high priorities. Let's figure out how we can budget for them, you know, in the next or, or next fiscal year or whatever the case might be, but simple changes, you know, maybe, maybe there isn't a budget to implement, you know, some of these, these huge work from home stipends or things like that. Maybe it's, it's lunch, something as simple as, as lunch, sending everybody an Uber Eats gift card or a DoorDash gift card and, and being able to do that, you know, once, once a month of lunch on the company, you know, we used to have these perks at work where we'd have bagel Friday or things like that. Um, Something as simple as here, enjoy your lunch, take that hour, enjoy it, or, you know, have lunch with your virtual lunches with your coworkers, like on us, here you go. Um, Having ERG groups that um, can be learning for other employees and bring people together. Um, that can be, you know, a way to to do something that provides support. It opens the door for conversation. It creates a supportive um, environment um, as the company continues to figure out ways to expand on a grander scale. So I think that survey, you know, as simple as creating a Google sheet that you send out and and are able to get. Um, feedback from your employees is a great place to start. It's a great place to open up those, those conversations. Um, and then finding those little things along the way as bigger things are being built out to just continue to reinforce the employee appreciation. Great, great advice. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Elisa. Thanks. All right. Time for Anything Goes, where we talk just about anything. Today on Anything Goes, we are wrapping season three. 
And we are 134 episodes into the We Get Really A podcast, and it is a big mile marker for us. And we are so, so excited. It sure is. I mean, excited. And I think we're both ready to take a little bit of a breather. Um, We've been going (laughs) at it hard since November of 2019 was when we first had the idea to start a podcast that would amplify the voices of women and girls. And we started out really focusing on STEM and technology and um, met with some incredible women throughout the course of 2020 and 2021 and this year. And we've really pivoted as y'all have been with us from the beginning to have a lot more lifestyle and parenting and finance and, and health health topics. Um, and we hope you aren't enjoying that as much as we're enjoying it because we love bringing that content. Yeah. This is actually the first time since we started our, our podcasting journey that we're taking a bit of a breather. Mm-hmm. So, um, we will hopefully be back, uh, ramping up in the fall. Um, but in the meantime, we're going to be releasing our favorite episodes. We enjoy all of our episodes, but there were things that really stood out about these that we're going to be putting back out into the ether. We hope that you tune in and revisit. And if you haven't listened to them, we hope you really enjoy them because they're still so good. We've been having a lot of these conversations for a very long time, and some of them are so relevant even now. Mm -hmm. So um, it's cool to, to go back and say, man, we were early adopters. That is so true. Some of the things that we've talked about, especially like with the metaverse and where things are going with that. And also a lot of the things we've spoken about from the beginning about the need for more representation in artificial intelligence and in the workplace are now like really, really trendy. And Vanessa and I are like, we were trying to be trendy. Exactly. <laughs> Inclusion has always been yes. so important to us and amplifying voices and informing um, technology and media is has always been at the mm-hmm. forefront of everything we do. And it seems like we're just joining the bandwagon, but no, no, we were the OGs. <laughs> yeah. And you know, um, I've been listening to some of our earlier episodes and I will say, Every single lady that we've spoken with has had a nugget of just really pure wisdom about her life journey and her career journey. So, Mm -hmm. and I think that's probably been for me, Vanessa, like I've always enjoyed learning about the different professions and fields of technology and, and the health and parenting wisdom and all those things. But the personal wisdom that each of our guests and that you have shared with me over the course of the past couple of years has been really such a storehouse of, of knowledge and strength. And um, so I encourage all of our listeners to go back and, and listen to like our lightning rounds in particular, and just the career journeys, because you'll find a lot of inspiration. I was going to say inspiration is the key word there. The ladies that we interviewed especially early on, because we were so new into this, were so empowering, especially mm-hmm. like for me personally, we'd heard their personal stories and all the things that they've overcome and their resilience. It was like, Sue and I can continue doing this. And yes. like, we need to continue telling people's stories and brainstorming and really leaning into our creativity. And that catapulted us into like creating our our company, which is Mike Drop yeah. Creative. And I mean, they, they are the inspiration. They really just like pushed us forward there. And I'm so grateful in so many ways for all the learnings um, and for, for them being vulnerable enough to share those stories with us. Agree. You know, a couple of the things that 
came up over and over and over again during our lightning rounds and when these ladies were sharing their career journeys. And also just as you and I have spoken and we've gotten to really know each other even better over the past couple of years through this podcast, which I love. Um, one is imposter syndrome. How many mm-hmm. women suffer from imposter syndrome and how often imposter syndrome pokes its ugly little head up and how we have to keep beating it back down. And it starts with just being aware that it's happening and listening for that voice. So that's, that's one thing that I, that has been such a huge takeaway for me from pretty much everybody we've spoken to on this show. And the second thing is pretty much everybody we've spoken with has said their career journey and their life journey has not been a straight trajectory. It's been a zigzag path. And that has actually turned out to be a really, really good thing for them. Yeah. And it's rounded them out and it's made them just more wholehearted and more talented and more versatile people throughout all the different aspects of their life. The fact that they didn't just go from A to B and have a plan and stick to that one plan and have it work the way they thought. And that's really I mean, so encouraging and so reassuring because I think that's how my life has been. I've had different careers. I've had different seasons where I've zigged when I thought I was going to zag. <laughs> and, <laughs> and as the mom of um, young adult daughters, you know, it's important to just pass that information on to the next generation that that is normal and it is good. Yeah. Portfolio lives are mm-hmm. okay and are the reality, right? Like there's this expectation and I think there's generational um things that go along with that too, like the linear path and goodness, even, you know, a daughter of an immigrant family, linear paths are safe. And if you follow them, you know, you are treated well and taken care of. And that's not, that's not the Mm. the mentality that one should have. And it shouldn't prevent anybody from following their dreams. You're going to stumble and that's okay. You will learn from those quote unquote failures or mistakes. Like failure is not a bad word anymore. And there are so many things that along this podcast, my mindset has completely changed, you know, vulnerability, Mm -hmm. one failure, another, um, and, and portfolio lives being the, the reality and that it's okay. Lived experience being an asset versus Mm -hmm. something that should hold you back. You know, like it's just all these things that, culturally were, were taboo or bad words. And now they're, they're positive. So I love that part of it. I do too. It's just been so great. And we're going to have a lot more really wonderful content for everybody in the fall. Um, what, what do you have going on this summer? Anything? I mean, I know what we have work-wise. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, work-wise is going to be definitely a business development summer and working on some cool new original projects, hopefully. Um, but the summer I am leaning into my on camera and getting back on stage. Like that is a big, big thing for me. And I'm going to be performing in the Momversations and first original project of the national women's theater festival. Um, and I will be on stage in late July, but I've also been part of the workshop and devising of the script. Um, and it's all about empowering women and working mothers and, um, reproductive justice and just so many things that help women do and be what they want to do and be. And being a mom just informs that so much more and um, empowers people so much more. So I, I just, I love everything that they're doing. And it's, it's a really cool project to kind of dip my toes back into being on stage and performing. So yeah, I'm just leaning into that. How about you, Sue? What do you got I know. And I love, I love that you're doing something that you really are passionate about and that you love this summer. That's, that's so fun for me. 
it is some of the same. I am also going to be doing more on camera work, hopefully. Um, I'm also doing a lot more writing and I want to lean into my art some more. I really feel like I, I want to tap into all the things that I called to spiritually. Mm -hmm. And I want to really dig into my writing. I've always been a writer. I love expressing myself through prose and poetry. So I'm doing a lot more of that. Um, and then I'm a painter and I haven't had a chance to do much painting other than the walls of my house. <laughs> it's, time, <laughs> it's time to up the uh, expression of that in a more artistic way. Uh, and then hopefully take some trips. I'll be back up in Raleigh to see you. And um, we're, we're actually hopefully going to be taking a, a trip, a service, a mission service trip to India in the fall. So I'm kind of gearing up for learning about that part of the world and what will be asked of us there. That'll be really special. So lots of exciting things to look forward to. And I'm just ready. I'm just ready for summertime and for that change of pace. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's in it. And we do, we have so many things going on. I was listening to a podcast today of some other really wonderful female creators and, you know, always having irons in the fire and mm -hmm. you just never know when one of those are, are going to hit. So I think that Sue, you and I are both in that boat with Mike drop creative, with our personal endeavors. Like we always just have things going and, you know, we're nurturing all of those fires and, and who knows what comes of one of those or how they can all intersect, which I always love the intersection of things. So exactly. It's like sprinkling yeah. the seeds and seeing what <laughs> you know, um, and I wanted to share a quote that I came across in LinkedIn. I think it's such a great thought. And it actually came from, um, pastor JD Greer, who is the pastor of my church, but I, ironically, I found it on LinkedIn and I think it's such great wisdom for everyone. And I just want to share this, everybody to think about throughout your summer, because, uh, he said it really resonated with me, never sacrifice the areas in which you are irreplaceable for the areas in which you are important. Mm. And I got to thinking about how, especially when my girls were little, all the times when in the summer months, I would be busy doing work and answering emails and running around. And I in particular can remember Christy, my middle daughter saying, mommy, come play, come, come play school with me. And it would be so hard for me to just stop what I was doing, which was important to sit down and be the irreplaceable to her in that moment. And so I just think that there's so much wisdom in that. And I wanted to pass that along to all of our listeners and to you, Vanessa, and to myself that this summer, look for those moments when your irreplaceable role uh, is calling to you. And if you're doing other things that are busy and important, make sure you don't put those ahead of the places in life where you're irreplaceable. And for most of us, that's with our family and our kids. Mm, I try, I aspire to do that anytime, you know, I have both of my little ones, uh, you know, always tugging on me, but, um, my eldest is at an age where she's so curious and she's so yeah. playful. And anytime she's like, mommy, can you, can we do this? Even if I really just don't want to do it at that very moment, I say, nope. I'm going to do it because that's mm -hmm. what she's going to remember. She's going to remember that I did it. And then I wind up having a blast. So yeah, yeah, I love that. Yeah. Have a great summer, everybody. We'll see you in the fall. Yeah. See you soon. Thanks for joining us here on We Get Real AF. Make sure you subscribe to the show and text this episode to a friend. Find us at ifundwomen.com. We have patron exclusives waiting for you. Plus, you'll just feel good. Special thanks to our WeGraph Live events and technical director, Mitchell Machado. You can find Mitchell on LinkedIn, spelled M-I-T-C-H-E-L-L-M-A-C-H-A-D-O. And we want to give a big thanks to our podcast sound designer, Sam McLean, that's spelled M-C-L-E-A-N, of InPhase Audio. Thanks for listening. <laughs>